Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Wow. Well, thank you, Steve, for that. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, graduates. Thank you, worship team. Uh, sometimes by the time the person comes up to give the sermon, you feel like you've already had church. I kind of feel like we've already had church. Um, but I'm going to speak anyway, so sorry, you're not off the hook. My name is Wes, the associate pastor here at North. Uh, you got a special treat today as you got a chance to see Todd Stewart dance on video. Um, we're going to save that and post it as many places as possible because that was frankly quite terrible. Um, thank you. Thank you, Todd. So we're in a, an event called uh, Open, Open House, and this is six weeks in which we are basically saying, you know, come to North, check us out, here are these different things. We're going to provide a series uh, for you, for anyone, to consider what it would mean to sit in someone's living room and have a discussion about things of life that pretty much anyone would ask or answer these questions. And so we're taking six different questions over these six weeks. We have our fourth one today and then two more after that. And so this idea of the series is kind of like we're in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard it said this, but I say this. And so what we're looking at are these six questions and what the world would say to answer the question this way, and Jesus would answer the question this way. And so we look, look at these six questions, and the first one, uh, Jay talked about uh, the question, what story are you living from? Kind of what worldview or lens are you considering your life? And then week two, I spoke on how to find purpose in life. And then last week, uh, Brent asked the question, how do we find victory in life? And so he, he proposed this idea from God's word that our victory is not found in our circumstances, that our victory is found in our position in Christ. The world would say that your circumstances determine your victory, and Jesus would say that it's our position in him. And then he kind of practically challenged us to consider our fighting posture. He actually awkwardly had us all stand up and get in a fighting posture. So you had people kind of like, you know, like this and ready. That was really good, right? You, if you saw this coming at you, you'd run. You'd run and hide. That was, okay, that's not very scary. Um, but he, he said the world would say our fighting posture looks like this, but Jesus would say our fighting posture looks like, and he then Brent got on his knees in a posture of prayer. And that our posture of prayer is our fighting posture in our life that leads us to victory. And today's question, our fourth question is this, how should I live with others? How should I live with others? And it's pretty easy to look around our world and say, man, we're, we're not quite figuring out how to live with others very well all the time with the different things that are going on. Relationships, uh, governments, cities, how people operate, cultures, uh, struggle with answering this question. The world has a definition for what it means to live with others, and Jesus has a definition of what it means to live with others. And in the New Testament, I don't know if you're f- uh, familiar, but there are these one another passages uh, in, in the New Testament. Greet one another, build one another up, be patient with one another, and so on. There's actually a bunch of them in the New Testament. There's a, a list, you can actually see it up on the screen here, uh, that has all the one another's that are found in the New Testament. You can get your phone out, take a picture of that, or you can actually ask where I give it to you. Or you can just Google 
one and other passages in the New Testament, and then those will, will come up. And there's, there's positive one another messages in the sense that it's, it's proactively asking you to do this. And there's some negatives in the sense that, like, do not lie to one another, do not slander one another, and so on. And so today, as we answer the question, how should I live with others, we're actually going to look at three of the one another's that we have in the New Testament. Love one another, which is found in John 13, 34. Forgive one another, which is found in Ephesians 4, 2. And honor one another above yourselves, which is found in Romans 12, 10. And we've actually had several references to Romans 12 today, which is pretty cool. There's been like four references to Romans 12, so I just feel the Lord moving in that way. It's pretty cool. So let's pray as we jump into this today. God, we thank you that you give us uh, your word, and that your word is true, and that you are the same uh, all the time. And we're just trying to figure out what it means to say yes to you. Even this morning as we come in this place, as, as uh, Aaron spoke earlier in his prayer, that we've all, we've all come from different places. And so we celebrate that, and at the same time we recognize that all the places we're coming from, you see, and you're with us. And so we thank you for that. In your name, amen. So many of you may know, uh, maybe not all of you know this, uh, but the, the makeup of my family. Uh, my wife and I got married almost 19 years ago, uh, drove across the country for the job here, uh, actually partnered with Scott's Bible at the beginning, then, then became its own entity. And so we have four kids. Uh, our kids, uh, our daughters, our one daughter is named Cassidy. She's 23. She actually just graduated from her master's program at U of A this weekend, which is pretty cool. And then we have our son Bryson, who's 17. And then we adopted Eric and Joseph six years ago, and Eric is 14 and Joseph is 12 through the state foster care system. And actually, it's this week, six years ago, that they moved into our house. Now, the process for us to say yes to adoption was a big deal uh, for us, trying to figure that out. Me is me, my wife, our two older kids, are they down for this? Are they up for it? You know, are they going to be in? And part of this process was a licensing class that you needed to take in order to be licensed by the state of Arizona to have this foster kid or respite care or adoption uh, into your home. And it's good. You should have these classes to help prepare you for the things that you know you need to prepare for and to help prepare you for things that you have no clue that you need to be prepared for. And so these 10 classes over 10 weeks, they're three-hour-long classes. My wife and I would drive to Glendale, and we would go to these classes. And we went to three of them. And we realized after the third one that we fought and argued after each of those classes. Like whatever was being discussed in these classes stirred us up and it caused disagreement with each other. And one of the things that they brought up was what are you willing to say yes to to have these kids in your home? What ages, abilities, ethnicities, family histories, experiences, genders, and so on. And as you would imagine, my wife and I had differing perspectives on that. And we weren't, like, annoyed with each other. Like, we were mad. And we fought. Like, we didn't punch each other, but we wanted to a little. Um, but, no, we were screaming at each other. I mean, it, it, it brought out some of the worst arguments we've ever had in our life, trying to figure this out. And we knew we had seven more classes. 
We're like, yeah, this is, we're not going to make it if this is going to continue. This pattern has to stop. So we decided we were going to change this up. We were going to go to the all next seven classes. We were going to plan a date night after each class, even though it kept us up late that night. So we'd go get sushi or whatever it was. And we would discuss and we would disagree, but we were in a public setting. So there's a marriage, just a free marriage tip for you. If you need to argue with your, your spouse, go sit somewhere in a restaurant because it, it kind of keeps your tempers at bay. So we did that, and it was helpful for us. And as a result of all the classes, all the arguments, all the conflict, all the time, all the prayer, all the conversations, support, and then ultimately licensing, we have these two amazing young men in our house, Eric and Joseph. And I bring that up, and I'm going to talk more about that later but for me, this is part of my story in figuring out these three one another's in my life. And I'm happy to tell more about that. And as we answer this question, how shall I live with others, we're considering these three one another's. Love one another, forgive one another, honor one another above yourself. And actually, all three of them come from one passage in Romans 12. We're going to look at Romans 12, 9 through 21. So let's read this together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. By the way, this doesn't get more easy. It only gets more difficult as you read this passage, by the way. This is a... It's a humdinger of a passage. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and this is an easy one, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that's a passage that I believe challenges everyone. If you ever need to be humbled spiritually, just make a note in your phone. If I need to be humbled, I'm going to go read Romans 12, 9 through 21, because this right here is challenging. We all need to be humbled. Being, being humbled is not fun. I was humbled several months ago when I played my 17-year-old son, Bryson, in basketball one-on-one. -on -one. And some of you may know I lost to my son for the first time. And I realized after a couple points it wasn't going to be close. Like, I didn't lose by a point. I lost by a like He more than doubled my score. And I realized he's faster than I am, he shoots better than I am, and he's, he's savvier than I am. I just was bad. And I get home, I was already humbled. I celebrated him, good job, but it was kind of like, ugh, that hurts a little bit. We get home, and I'm telling the rest of my family what happened. And he goes, well, Dad, we hadn't played one-on-one -on -one in like a year and a half. It probably would have happened a long time ago. <laughs> so I took away his car. But it's good for us to be humbled spiritually as well. Go to passages that challenge us. 
that, that push us in different directions. Now, this passage, we're going to look at the first, love, uh, first one another right now, and that's love one another. It doesn't actually say the words love one another, but it gets close. And there's actually 17 places in the New Testament that talks about, that uses the phrase love one another. But this passage makes us, forces us to apply that love one another in some very difficult ways. The English word love has many meanings. I love you. I love hiking. I love pizza. I love the Suns. Go Suns, game seven tonight. I love when the toilet paper goes over the roll and not under. Am I right? Anybody with me? You, you know. But the word love comes to English in you know, one word, but it comes from Scripture from four different places, four different types of love, and it's original language. It gets translated into English as love. And the first of those, and the, the, the most uh, pure form of love, is called agape love. Agape love is a God's type of love for us. It's a spiritual love. It's the same love that's used in love your enemy. And I think that requires a spiritual connection, a God-sized love in order to love your enemy. This is the same word for in John 3.16 where it said, God so loved the world. Well, he sent his son to die. That's a, that's a love that is, exceeds all others. But you have these other three forms of love. You have phile or phileos, which is like a friendship type of love, kind of a brotherly or sisterly form of love. Jesus used this term with his friend John the Baptist, with his friend Lazarus. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. There's a type of love that's a brotherly friendship type of love. There's eros, which is a sexual intimacy or physical affection type of love that we see in the word. We have a romantic love that we can experience. And then there's storge, which is S-T-O-R-G-E. And this is a type of love that's reserved for families, for moms, dads, parents, siblings. And it's mentioned several times within Scripture. And we're going to look at agape love in a second for how, how we are to... You know, how we should love or live with others. But we're going to look at storge here for a moment. And in particular, I want to talk about a storge type of love, or how, how should we live with others when it comes from a parent to a child specifically. Now, you may have older kids that have grown up. Maybe they're out of the house. Maybe you have really young kids. Maybe you plan to have kids someday. Maybe you have a parent. Um, so we can all relate. We have friends, family around. But when it comes to, in particular, a parent to a child type of relationship love, now we could do a whole series on this, we could do a whole workshop, we could do conferences on parenting. We're just going to choose one thing today. And this is our first takeaway. We're going to have four takeaways today in regards to how should we live with others. And the first comes from storage type of love, parenting, parent to a child. And our takeaway is this. As a parent... You need to ask yourself, what is my motivation? And we need to ask this question all day, every day. What is my motivation in how I interact with my kids? What motivated me to make my kids make their bed in the morning? It sounds silly, but it's important to pay attention to why that is a decision we have made. What motivated me to yell at my kid last night when they broke the plate? What motivates me to push my kids to do better in school or sports? 
What motivates me to say yes to my kids? What motivates me to say no to my kids? What, what, what motivated me to give that lecture or to give that punishment? What motivated me to give that specific gift to my kid? And here's, here's why I think this is important. In applying Storge type of love towards our kids, Deuteronomy 6 talks about the commandments of God, that we talk about these commandments of God when we wake up in the morning with our family, with our kids. We impress these commandments upon them. Uh, from, you know, when we walk during the day, when we go to bed at night. And I think the best way that our kids will receive us talking about these commandments of God is if they know that their parents are motivated solely out of a love for God and a love for them. Because kids pick up on things. They see our flaws. They know that if we're speaking one thing out of our mouth and responding, maybe we're parenting out of fear. Maybe we're parenting out of pride. Maybe we're parenting out of embarrassment. Maybe we're parenting out of a place that is mixed with, I want what's best for them in the future. And at the same time, I don't want to be embarrassed. When we consider our motivations for how we parent, that is an application of storge love in our life. Kind of one of a, a hard way to consider this is I like to think about Dog Whisperer. If the show, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but you have dog owners and they have these dogs that act up. They bite people or they jump on things or whatever. And I think his name Caesar comes on the show and almost every single time, it's not the dog's fault. It's the way that the dog is being trained by the owners that, that keeps the dog in this pattern of behavior. Now, I'm not blaming parents for all things that all kids do, but it's worth considering our motivations in how we parent and how, how those things translate into who our kids are, their character, their choices going forward. So that's the application of store J love. Let's move into agape love and how we would apply that to our life when we're considering how we should live with others. Of course, Jesus modeled this for us. And it's not quite fair for us to consider, well, Jesus died on the cross for us, so, I mean, he wins the prize. That was like the ultimate, you know, sacrifice. But, you know, how do we apply that in our own life? How do we apply agape love, which is a spiritual love? It's basically saying, because of God, I'm going to do this in this relationship. God's character compels me to respond this way. A little bit more relatable as Jesus responds to his disciples, and the disciples you know, betrayed him, tempted him, uh, you know, embarrassed him, all these different flaws that they had, denied him, but he saw them through the eyes of his father and not through his own eyes himself. Now, agape love is not related to a specific connection that we have with people. Agape love is a specific connection that we have with God that we take that because of this connection, I then apply it here. Now, there's a story of early on in our marriage. Uh, we, of course, we moved across the country. We had one friend that was here, came out for my job. My wife wasn't working yet, trying to figure everything out. And when we, we got married, we kind of told each other, this is what I need from you. I told my wife, what I need from you is I need you to be my number one fan all the time, because I'm going to make dumb mistakes, I'm going to be a bonehead, I just need to know you're in my corner all the time, no matter what. She's like, you got it, no problem. 
And then what she told me she needed, one of the things she told me she needed was just complete honesty. I just, I just need to know you're honest with me all the time. Like, you make mistakes, do dumb things, I just need you to be honest all the time. And so we're here, like, literally three or four months, and she's seen some things in me that she doesn't like, she's uncomfortable with. And so she challenges me on that. She presses me and asks me some specific questions. And I lied. I lied again. I lied again, and I lied again. So I took the thing that she, she said she needed from me was honesty. And then what happened? She took the thing that I said I needed. She wasn't my number one fan anymore. She wasn't in my corner. She had a decision to make. She wanted to fly home. Be with family, friends, support system, and because that's what she wanted to do. She was like, I'm married to this pastor for three months, and he's already lying to me several different times. Like, I, this is not the life that I want. So, so she wanted to fly home. So she took that to the Lord, and she's like, all right, God, I need to, i got to figure out what's going on here. And, and God reminded her of a commitment that she made. But God didn't remind her of a commitment that she made to me. God reminded her of a commitment that she had made to him. An agape love helped turn my wife into wanting to fly home to, all right, God, I, because of my commitment to you, I'm going to try and figure this relationship out. I'm not going to give up. She didn't stay because of she was my number one fan. She didn't stay out of a commitment for me. It, that came later. But she stayed out of a commitment to God. And that's an example of agape love in my life. And we went to counseling. It took about a year to kind of right the ship in different ways. So thankful that we were able to do that. But it was because of her agape love that she then applied it to our marriage. So takeaway number two is this. And how, does, how should I live with others? We need to ask ourselves. How does my commitment to God affect my relationship to that person? Because that's agape love. Verse 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And this is where agape love comes in, because we can't do this on our own. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the second one another we're going to consider, and these next two come by a little bit faster for us today, is forgive one another. 17 through 19 says, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And then Peter's having a conversation with Jesus, and he, he asks him this question. He's like, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Maybe seven times? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven Times. And we've learned through the Revelation series that the number seven is a number of completion or wholeness. And Peter actually asked a pretty good question. He, said, he uses the word seven, which is kind of like completion. And Jesus pushes it even beyond that. He's like an infinite amount of forgiveness 
that we should have towards others. It's not a question of if we should forgive. It's not a question of who we should forgive. It's not a question of when we should forgive. It's a question of a calling that we are to forgive. Now, forgiveness is a tricky thing, right? Forgiveness can be for other people. They might know about the forgiveness that you are giving them, and that could be a blessing for them. But forgiveness is usually for us. It's something that happens in here. Because unforgiveness, and those grammar people who are in the room right now know that unforgiveness is not a word, but I have the microphone and I'm in control, so we're going to use it today. Unforgiveness has this way of like getting in and having, creating tentacles and a, almost a cancer inside of our heart and our mind. And a lot of times forgiveness is for us. And usually forgiveness is a process and not something that happens one time. So forgiveness is not something usually that just happens once, one time, one day. Okay, maybe if someone like cuts you off and you're, you're mad and you're like, okay, I'm going to, nope. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're in a hurry, whatever. Okay, I'm going to forget. But usually when we have forgiveness that, that we're trying to deal with, there's, there's, there's real pain, maybe even abuse or things that, are, that have happened. But hurt, pain, anger, and it's a decision, usually, that takes time to work out. That you choose to forgive again and again and again. You allow that to be pruned slowly away from you. Forgiveness is not becoming best friends with that other person, necessarily. Forgiveness may not even mean trusting that other person. Those are separate issues from Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a softening in our spirit towards someone, a release in your own heart and mind of their guilt. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is not passive. Forgiveness is active. Forgiveness is not ignoring what happened or ignoring how I feel about it. That's also a disservice to yourself. We don't forgive other people just because we want to forget it and block it out of our mind and not really deal with what happened or how we feel about it. But what it is, is laying it down again and again and again. Now, several years ago, I had graduated from Phoenix Seminary and I'd done this theological training. I like presented my theology to this board and you know, it, it went fine. I got my degree and then I was going to be ordained from Scottsdale Bible Church. So I sat in front of these four people. They brought me in. I answered all these theological questions and different things. And they said, okay, go ahead and step out. And then we're going to discuss and we'll bring you back in. They brought me back in. And they basically said, we're not going to ordain you at this time. You need to work on this and this and this and this. And so I uh, heard that and walked out of the room. And uh, it was probably the right thing for them to do. Like according to their process, this is what needed to happen in order to ordain me. But what I heard in my spirit and in my mind when they said, no, you're not going to be ordained at this point. You need to work on these things. Out of my own insecurity, I heard, you're not smart. That's what I heard. And it deeply hurt me. Now, I don't think there was malice in their hearts. I think they were probably following the process in which they were supposed to. But I then had this thing in, in my heart and mind because of the pain that I felt when I felt like I wasn't smart. I then projected that pain onto those four people in my head and in my heart. I judged them. 
When I, when I would see them, I wouldn't want to be around them. And they were probably just being faithful to what was in front of them. And so, but I had this thing that I had to forgive them for. And they may not have even done anything incorrect or wrong. But forgiveness, a lot of times, takes time. But it's part of how we are to live with others. So takeaway number three is this. Unforgiveness says revenge. Forgiveness says release. Unforgiveness says revenge. Forgiveness says release. And on to the third one another. Honor one another above yourself. It says in verse 9 through 13, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. When I was a senior in high school, I was having a great time. I was having a blast. Not everyone has a great time in high school. I was loving it, especially my, my senior year. Last, time, last year with my friends, we're going to do all these things, have a great time. And so I was kind of in this tunnel vision of like, this is how I'm going to finish my senior year. I have all these experiences that I'm going to do, and, and this is how things are going to roll out because it was fun and exciting. And so we're about a month away from prom, and I'm like orchestrating what all is going to happen for prom based on what I want to have happen. I've got my friends who I want to be a part of this thing for prom, and we're going to, we're going to go here, and we're going to do this, and and I found a, a friend who, would, who was willing to say yes to be my date. And so I asked her. And so she's like, yeah, let's do it. And so I even picked out my tux, which was uh, lima bean green with a white top hat, white cane, white cummerbund, and white shiny shoes because I love Dumb and Dumber. So if you're familiar with the reference, it's my favorite movie at the time. So everything's lined up for prom. And I'm about that time, a month before prom, I'm at church and I'm talking to one of my buddies. And he's, he's telling me about his plans for prom. He, w- he went to a different school, and it was around the same time frame, and, and he was excited to go. And I was like, oh, sweet, man. Like, like where would you get your tux? And he told me where he got his tux. I was like, Who, who's going to be your date? And he's like, oh, it's my new friend, Brittany. I'm like, okay. I, I don't know who, who Brittany is. Who's, who's Brittany? He's like, oh, it's just a gal that I met in our cafeteria at school the other day, and we're going we're gonna to go to prom together. And I was like, well, that's cool. Um, do you, like... Which, which of your friends are going to go? What are you guys going to do? And he's like, actually, I'm just going to go with Brittany and her parents. Her parents, we're going to go to dinner, and we're going to go to prom with the four of us. And I was like, you're not going with your friends? No, I'm going with Brittany and her parents. I was like, so why, if you don't mind me asking why you're doing this? And he's like, well, Brittany, um, she's, she's got some physical limitations, and she has a really hard time moving, and she wants, she doesn't really have any friends, and she's going to, Come with me and be my date, but she wants her parents to come as well. She's more comfortable with that. And I'm hearing this, and he's so excited about it. And like a sadness, like, kind of just fell over me. And I realized that I wouldn't have even considered that as a possibility at that time in my life. I had what I planned out, and not that anything that I did was wrong or bad, But I hadn't considered anything else besides what I wanted for that moment. And I knew, as he was talking to me, that if that had presented itself to me, and that was something I had considered, I would have said no. 
And it, it convicted my heart and spirit when I, when I was thinking about that. And so our takeaway number four is this. Honoring people above ourselves requires us to see them first. We need to see other people. My friend saw Brittany, first of all, in the cafeteria, and then chose to become her friend, and then chose to invite her to a prom, which she probably would have never even gone to, and then said yes to being with her parents. I didn't honor anyone above myself with the decision I made. I had a great time. It wasn't necessarily wrong, but I hadn't even considered anything else. Now, I talked about how we brought Eric and Joseph into our home. And this is one area that my wife and I got right in our, our life, you know, minus the conflicts at the beginning of the process. But when it comes to these three one another's, when it, when it came to making the choice to honor someone above myself, I chose to say yes to the adoption, not even knowing who was, we were saying yes to. I didn't want my life to change. I liked my life with our two kids. It was great. I didn't want it to be disrupted. But I was convicted and challenged to honor someone above myself. We did that. And then we had to forgive one another during the process. It was messy, complicated. We call it the beautiful adventure because it was hard. It pressed on so many buttons inside of our heart and our mind. I had to forgive my wife. She had to forgive me. Several people made comments or asked questions in ways that just felt kind of gross during the process, trying to manipulate us from doing adoption, asking questions or making comments that were hurtful. We had to choose to forgive in that process. And we had to choose agape love. It was not a, a decision for me to say yes to an adoptive child because that's something that I wanted. It just wasn't. I want it now. Can't imagine my life without Eric and Joseph. Forget that they're not my own biologically. But at the time, it was a decision here that then was applied towards them, towards saying yes to the process. Now we're going to do one more song this morning. And I would like you to just consider what it would mean for you this morning to think about these three one another's. Love one another, forgive one another, and honor one another above ourselves. Maybe something has stirred in regards to a passage we put up on the screen or a story that I told or something that happened on the way to church this morning that just has stuck in your heart and mind. Consider what the Lord may have for you as we worship in this next song and then ask him what you are to do. What's my response to this stirring in my spirit right now? Let's pray. I gotta thank you um, that you forgive us. <laughs> you give us grace. Because you do that with us, then we can do that with, with other people as well. That you love us enough to die for us. That you have honored us above you in some ways. And so God, 
as we consider what's stirred in our hearts and minds right now, we pray that you give us courage to step into it. In your name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Well, thank you for being here with us this morning. We have our prayer partners, the Zaratis, over here to pray with you in person. If you would like prayer this morning, you can submit your prayers at the table back here, put them in the offering, and we'll be beginning to pray for those Tuesday mornings, send them out to our prayer team. And I just want to encourage you guys, when it comes to living with other people, to just go love, forgive, and honor. Love you. We'll see you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.